So here we are today, and it was ugly sweater day, but you wore a pretty sweater, so you, you blew it on that. So you I, nice I got pretty. a tree sweater. I know, it's pretty. It's supposed to be Because ugly. I love Christmas good. trees. It looks great. Awesome. She's done research, and we do this each year to bring out why do we do Christmas. I know here most of you are, are for it in Christmas, but you'll be surprised those who are not, yeah. even in the Christian circles. And if anything, it's a time to, to at least focus. If people don't know, we can be the focus of why the lights, why the trees, and why the story. So we're, she's going to give just a little bit more details on the story of Christmas. So start with the characters and just run down that. And we're going to have a, a song here in a moment, too, also as well. Okay. Well, you know, the Christmas story can actually seem like a fairy tale, can it? Yes. Uh, you've got angels. You've got a young teenager. You've got... A baby born in a barn. <laughs> You've got shepherds to wise men to a wicked king. Uh, so I, I'm hoping today I'll share a few things because as I've been reading through the Christmas story again, I've seen some things I didn't see before that just hit me. And I hope I can bring it out to you and make the story more, uh, more relevant to yeah. you today. Uh, there are two gospel writers that uh, share the story of Christmas, and that is Matthew, who writes from Joseph's perspective. And then there's Luke that shares Mary's story. And angels are involved throughout the story. That's the wonderful thing. The angel Gabriel is God's chief messenger angel, and he was first appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament. Right. Uh, but now he's being sent uh, in the New Testament, and Dan and Gabriel is the angel Gabriel is known for his faith-filled statement for with God nothing shall be impossible so every time you say that you think of the angel Gabriel because he's the one that said that Luke tells us that Gabriel's first sent to Zacharias who is a priest and he announces to him that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a son in their old age and we know that the son uh, becomes John the Baptist who was the forerunner of Jesus and I asked the question, now think about this, how did uh, Luke know these intimate details right. about Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth? Well, Eliz uh, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, and we know from Scripture that Mary went to visit Elizabeth. So no doubt Mary told Luke the story because he said, I had perfect understanding of what happened about the birth of Jesus. He yeah. And he got it from Mary. Wow. So he told it. And Mary was, gave him all these details. Well, Gabriel's then sent to Mary, who is a young teenage virgin. And in those days, it was the custom to, uh, uh, they would betroth a girl as young as 12. Uh, and she could be en engaged by 15 or married by 15 as far as that goes. So we know that she was a teenager. And it's fascinating to me that God would choose a teenager to have his son that, and to be the mother of his son. And we can see Mary's genuine love uh, for God. And, and we see it in her faith-filled statement when she answers Gabriel, for be it unto me according to your word. So yeah. that's just the first aspect of the Christmas story. So you see the supernatural element. You said there's five dreams, three visions in the Christmas story. Is that right? Yes. And I, I encourage you to find those dreams and find those visions when you read the Christmas story. Uh, we read in Matthew, the first chapter, 
that an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph, who was engaged to, to Mary, and he's a lowly carpenter. Many theologians believe this angel was Gabriel. Now, he appeared in person to Zacharias and Mary, and here he comes in a dream to Joseph. And Joseph was contemplating divorcing Mary because in those days an engagement was as uh, binding as a contract of marriage today. And the angel comes to him, tells him not to fear to take Mary as his wife, to, to call the baby Jesus. He will save his people from his sins. And we know that one dream, he has one dream, and Joseph is obedient to that dream. And because of that, he has three more supernatural dreams that lead him and Mary and baby Joseph and protect them. So being obedient to the one dream is what led him on yeah. to uh, other dreams and being led. And I believe we have a picture of Bethlehem here with Mary and Joseph, part of it. Well, it must have been up there somewhere. It's the greatest gift here. Oh, here it is, there it is. Uh, this is Bethlehem. Uh, and I want you to see here, this is Christ's birthplace. It's only three miles from Jerusalem. But I don't think people realize Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth. And, uh, and uh, it's 90 miles from Bethlehem. So that's a long journey for a woman that's nine months, a young woman that's nine months pregnant, whether she's riding on a donkey or walking. How would you like to walk 90 miles when you're nine months pregnant? Or I think it'd almost be worse riding a donkey nine months pregnant. <laughs> uh, so you've got to realize what, what a journey that they a really journey. had in going to uh, Bethlehem. And we have the barn. Yeah. What it's, people it, think of yeah, it as a barn. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Why was baby Jesus born in a barn? And here's what I thought. Where else would the Lamb of God be born? Right. But in a barn. That's how I look at it. And then we have the shepherds. Now, Luke is the one that tells us about the shepherds, that the angel uh, appears, angels appear to them in the night as they're watching their sheep. And it's interesting that shepherds were held in contempt by the Orthodox Jews of that day. And uh, they were not ceremonially considered clean. And you know why? It's because they smelled like their sheep. And you know why? Because they would not leave their sheep unattended. It's because of predators. Their sheep could be stolen or killed, so they stayed with them all the time. So, but God wanted them to worship the Lamb of God. Yeah. So you know what he did? Instead of, he not only sent one angel, he sent a whole host of angels. And those angels, now listen, they gave those shepherds such confidence that they would leave their sheep immediately and know that their sheep would be safe. Now, to me, that is interesting. And I want you to think about this. Lowly, lonely shepherds were the first ones to tell of the birth of Jesus. Then we have the wise men, wise guys. I talked a little bit about them last week, but what were some other facts with these guys? Uh, you know, the wise men were the astrologers of that day. And, uh, and it's interesting, from lowly shepherds to wealthy wise men, this shows you God is no respecter of persons or right. no respecter of social standing. Matthew tells us that the wise men traveled from the east and they followed his star and they brought gifts. Uh, some believe there were three uh, wise men because there were three gifts, but most believe there were many more in that caravan than three. Uh, 
But you have to ask, how did they know it was his star? They said, we've seen his star. Well, Pastor yeah. Jeff, you talked about yeah. this last yeah. week. Uh, it is believed that when Daniel was uh, elevated by the king, when he was in Babylon, he was elevated over the wise men of Babylon, and that's in the east. And he, we, it is believed he taught them about the Messiah, about the king to come, and to look into the heavens and to look for a specific star. And that was passed down hundreds of years, and here these wise men see that star, and they say, that's what was foretold by Daniel. So that's why they followed it. I think that's fascinating. So they end up going to King Herod. And you were telling me a little bit about this, what I hadn't thought before, uh, that they knew the king had been born, so they went to the king thanking royalty. And what, what did you hear about that? You were yeah. looking at it. It's, isn't it interesting? We think, well, they followed the star and they went straight to the baby, and he was probably a toddler by then, went straight to the baby. That's not true. Where did they go? They went to Jerusalem, right. not Bethlehem, to the palace because that's where they expected a king to yeah, be born, cool. was in Jerusalem. So I have a feeling they kind of varied, veered off from the star a little bit. Uh, that's, that's my opinion. Say it's, it's Katrina's opinion. <laughs> I don't, scripture doesn't say that, but it's interesting to me. I just can't feel that the star led them to the palace. Right. Uh, so here they are in Jerusalem, and they're with King Herod, and he is such a wicked. There was never a king more wicked than him or more hated. The only reason Rome kept him in power was that he was very smart. He rebuilt the temple and he rebuilt the, uh, the, uh, the wall in Jerusalem, so they kept him in office. But he was a murderous, horrible man. It, uh, history tells us when he was dying of a horrible disease, he called in 45 of his most influential men and had them all murdered right in front of him. This is the king who told these wise men, oh, I want to come and worship this baby king. Now, do you believe that? No. no. But yet God used him. Isn't it amazing that God can use someone that's wicked? Because when the wise men came to him and they said, we're looking for this baby, it was wicked King Herod who called in uh, the Jewish yeah. uh, scribes and priests, and they told them, well, the, the Old Testament prophet Micah is the one that said he'd be born in Bethlehem. So no wonder the wise men rejoiced with exceeding great joy and, and went to Bethlehem. Here's another interesting thing you never thought of. Mary and Joseph were still in Bethlehem, and they're from Nazareth. Right. They stayed over because it's believed that Jesus would have probably been a toddler at that time or two or under. So they stayed over, and they're no longer in Nazareth. And the Bible tells us they didn't return to Nazareth until after they went to Egypt. So look how God brought every, all these circumstances, all these events together right. for his son. I, I just think it's wonderful. Then you have something here on Caesar. We usually don't yeah. think of him as part of the story. You know, uh, Caesar's the one that called for, he was uh, um, August, Caesar Augustus of Rome. He called for all the world to be taxed. And... Uh, we don't know a lot about Caesar, but we do know this. He was uh, a very amazing man. Uh, history tells us he became an emperor at age 18. 
He was married for over 52 years. He was a family man. He emphasized the family in Rome. He set up a new government structure that kept Rome in power for over 200 years. But little did Caesar know that his decree that the world should be taxed would bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem right. and the birth of Jesus and fulfill prophecy. All these events fulfilled prophecy. So seemingly a fairy tale, but not. What's yeah. your heart on that? Look at it. After 2,000 years, 2,000 years, 2000, think about yes. that. Lives are still being changed by the Christmas story. I just read a statistic. In 2019, over 2.4 billion, with a B, 2.4 billion people worldwide celebrated the birth of Jesus. You think about that. 2,000 years later, a baby born in a barn, and lives are still being changed. All right. Mine was changed by that. Yeah. And you know, uh, some people say we shouldn't even recognize Christmas, or it's become too commercialized, or the right. Bible doesn't really emphasize us celebrating Christmas. But you think about this for just a minute. Our God's a celebrating God. He really is. Yeah. Uh, look at all the feasts of the Old Testament, the many feasts of the Old Testament. And in reading the Christmas story, look at the extreme lengths that God went to to get people to come and celebrate the birth of his son. You know, we send cards to announce that a baby is born. God sent angels. Right. <laughs> I mean, he really wanted people to know his son has been born. So this is what I would say. If we as Christians do not celebrate Christmas... And if we do not give the true meaning of Christmas, who's going to do it? Right, let's do That's it. That's how I look at it. Amen. Yeah. So tell your neighbor, don't be a humbug. All right, tell them right now, don't be a humbug. All right. That's what she's saying right there. Traditions. I know they're not exactly, quote, in the Bible. No, no, they're not. <laughs> Scrooge isn't in the Bible. But let's start with carols. What, why? Why carols? How many like Christmas carols? You like singing the carols? I love something? Christmas carols. Yeah. Uh, let me give you a little history. Uh, we sing, Oh, come, let us adore him. It's actually, Oh, come, all you faithful. This carol was originally written in Latin uh, by a Catholic layman named John Francis Wade in 1745. And it remained a Latin masterpiece, actually, for almost 100 years before it was translated into English by a man by the name of Frederick Oakley. He was an English Catholic priest, and that was in 1841. In high school, we sang the chorus yeah, in sang. Latin. Uh, I tried to sing it in Latin, and I, I did so terrible. I was gonna surprise you, you all, but I'm not gonna do it, all right? Uh, it's a simple Christmas carol, though, that encourages us to yeah. join with the heavenly host and singing, sing choirs of angels. And it's amazing that we're still singing this Christmas carol after 275 right. years. So the, I, the praise team is going to come, so. yeah, they and they're going to sing that, and we want you to sing it with us. This is kind of a little break in the middle of what we're sharing before we continue with Christmas traditions. So why don't you join with them oh, come as we sing, Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, God. 
Wasn't that beautiful? Man, excellent Hallelujah. job Thank you, there Lord. on that. Ooh. That was fantastic. Oh, we can clap for that. That, that is, is beautiful. Sweet. That's beautiful. So let's jump down to the story that impacted a nation. And we saw the picture there with Scrooge. Oh, what Scrooge. Is, how does that go with that? You know, it was in 1843 that Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Story. And you know, this was written in what was known as the industrial age in England. Men worked 12 hours a day, six days a week. Children were put to work in factories by age eight, as young as age eight, and little or no education at all. And when he wrote this story about God's redemptive love for a man named Scrooge, it revealed to this nation, number one, their fallen morals. Right. And then it changed the way they saw themselves, and it changed the way they saw Christmas. And it changed, one story. Think yeah. about that. One story. Impacted Changed a nation. Right. Changed a nation. Awesome. Now we come to uh, Santa Claus. How many actually have a picture of when you were a child of you're on Santa Claus, sitting on Santa Claus. Anybody have a picture? Could everybody here have a picture? You get your kids. Anybody put your kid on Santa Claus and it didn't work? Anybody here have that situation? <laughs> they pulled his beard or jumped off or started crying and screaming <laughs> with that, with the, with the Santa Claus. Okay, we can wait deal. on that Santa Claus picture for a minute. Okay, so how in the world off. did this fella get involved with Okay, uh, you know, I wanted to tell you a story. I talked with a lady at a restaurant, and she told me she has over 2,000 small Santa Claus figurines displayed in her house at Christmas. I was shocked. And she asked her children, she's older, she said, do any of you want any of these? And they all said, no. <laughs> but <laughs> I said, mean. well, then you know the story of Santa Claus then, don't you? And she, she said, hard for 2,000. Yeah, 2,000. Yeah. Well, I asked her, I said, well, then you know the story of Santa Claus, right? And she said, no, what is the story? And I think most people do not I know do. the yeah. true story of Santa Claus. Yeah. I really don't. And, and uh, uh, how did he become affiliated with Christmas? Yes. Well, That's less than 300 years after the birth of Christ, uh, a baby named Nicholas was born in the country of Turkey. That's not Turkey. that long, 300 years after. Pardon? 300 years. That's just not that long. Just 300 years, just a few years yeah. after That's the birth of Christ. Connected. Yeah. His parents were godly, they were very wealthy, but they died when he was a teenager and he was left an orphan. And he wanted to give away that money, but he wanted to do it secretly, so eventually he became known as the secret saint. And I, they had a picture of the Coca-Cola Santa Claus. I don't know if you have a picture of St. Nicholas. If you do, you can display that. But his story is fascinating. He became, now not this one, not this Santa Claus with the Coca-Cola. There, there you go. Is. All right, finally, here we go. All right, uh, listen to the fascinating story of, of St. Nicholas. He became a monk at age 17. He became a pastor at age 19. How would you like to have a 19-year-old as your pastor? He became a bishop in his early 20s. Yes. He was known for his powerful preaching. He was known for his prayer and healing ministry. Awesome. He was jailed, put in prison many times for his faith. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Well, hey, St. Nicholas. Had a healing ministry. He was tortured for his faith, and he never recanted. Wow. And after his death, the church uh, declared him a saint. How many think they need to make a movie of that, right? The, wouldn't so that, that be wonderful Christmas, to have a movie of the true story of yeah. St. Nicholas? That is true. 
And Amen. Then, <laughs> yeah. So well, December, what's you have here? They celebrate in Europe December 6th is St. Nicholas Day. Yes. Uh, at one time they did that and they, and gave, they gave gifts in gifts. secret. They may still do that. I don't right. know. So how, so how did from there, from St. Nick to Santa Claus? You know, it's very interesting. At that time, uh, in the early 1800s, there really was, uh, Americans didn't know about St. Nicholas. But when the Europeans began to immigrate mm -hmm. to America, they began to share the story of St. Nicholas. But because they had such a heavy accent, it sounded like Santa Claus. And the name Santa Claus stuck instead of St. Nicholas. So St. Nicholas with an accent, Santa no, Claus. St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas. Sounded that like wasn't Santa exactly Claus. the way it I don't know. St. <laughs> Nicholas. That's true. Oh, they said Santa Claus. <laughs> well, I don't know. They that celebrate they did. Santa Claus. <laughs> don't go See, by him. Don't go by him. That's exactly how it happened, people, in history, just like that. St. Nicholas. Probably. That's pretty close. Maybe. What were they talking about? They said Santa Claus. Okay. All right. <laughs> go ahead. You say it too. <laughs> then it became a all right. Then it became a No, you tried to say Saint Nicholas, just like that. <laughs> Please, his sense of humor is getting to me. <laughs> Amen. So it came from that down to the Great American version. The Great American version. <laughs> that is true. From the, the westernized Saint version. Now you can bring up Coca-Cola. Yeah. Saint Santa Claus. But right there. it became established that he came on Christmas Eve through a pastor. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. In 1822, a man by the name of Clement Clark Moore, who was a pastor in New York, wrote a poem called The Night Before Christmas. He recited that poem on Christmas Eve and in his, in his Christmas Eve service. And it became so popular that from then on, it changed the way Americans celebrated Christmas. Right. They really believed that, and it became a part of what they shared with their kids. Right. So a pastor started that, folks, just letting you know. And then eventually we had Coca-Cola. Yeah, and then the final makeover, and we had that, we've had that up about three times. We can put it up again. This is the final makeover of Santa Claus, and this is a 1931 Coca-Cola ad, and you see the smiling elderly man with the white beard and the rosy cheeks and the red suit holding a bottle of Coca-Cola. But let me say this, and you can take his picture down again, because I want to <laughs> say this. Sorry about that back there. We're yeah. <laughs> sending you through this. Here's the main thing you need to remember about Santa. It was his love for Jesus Christ, yeah. the Christ of Christmas, that made him known. That's the true story of the original Santa. That's the true story of St. Nicholas. And that's what we need to remember, and I think we should tell our children that, too. Right. I told ours. And they love it. They love it. So now we have the one and only Christmas tree. How did that get started? And by the way, how many have their Christmas tree up by now? Come on now. I Do you all have you your do. Christmas tree up? I can't tell. I can see they, their hands. Yeah, up. not that many. No. A lot oh, look at these beautiful Christmas trees. And yeah. you know, I noticed the decorations of the gift boxes. And it goes along and emphasizes our theme, which is the greatest gift. Uh, let me first tell you, and most of you know this, but some of you may not, how I first got into the study of Christmas traditions. It was because some people started coming to us as pastors and asking us not to put up any Christmas decorations in the church 
because the Christmas tree, which I have on my shirt today, my sweater today, uh, was originally pagan. Well, first of all, Satan never originally uh, invented anything. He's just an imitator and a perverter right. of the all truth. Right. Yeah. So I began to study because I didn't have an answer. I didn't know. And there are people that say that it was originally pagan. But here's what you've got to realize. Almost all of our Christmas traditions came about as a result of revival spreading across the world. Yeah. That changed paganism into Christianity. And you're going to see that in the story of the Christmas tree. So why is it a part of Christmas? Uh, the tree originally uh, originated in Germany. In the early 700s, there was an evangelist by the name of Bonifast who, from England. Uh, he preached in the gospel in France and Germany, and a great revival broke out in Germany. And at that time, the German people worshipped a false god called Thor, and they worshipped under a sacred oak tree. And, uh, and, and they would even sacrifice their children under this sacred oak tree if they felt their god was angry with them. Well, on one of the many visits of Boniface, he came, uh, it was Christmas Eve, and he came upon a group of men surrounding a, a sacred oak tree. And they were getting ready to sacrifice a baby boy because they thought their god was angry. He was so horrified, he ran up to them, he stopped them, and he began to preach Christ to them. And of course, they mocked him, they refused, and they made fun of him. And he says, a holy boldness came upon him. Right. He ran through that group of men. He hit that oak tree with his fist. He cursed it in the name of Jesus, like Jesus did the fig tree, and commanded it to die and to, uh, and to fall over. Well, those men laughed and laughed and laughed at him. And they were expecting their God to strike him with lightning. Instead, that oak tree started to shudder. All right. And it not only fell over, it uprooted. <laughs> it was such a shock to them. And they knew it was a miracle. And they turned to him and they said, your God is the true God. Tell us about him. Mm. He witnessed to them. And, he's, and he led them to Christ, and they received Christ. And he thought as he was praying, finishing praying, he said, Oh, God, what am I going to do now with these new believers? Their oak tree's dead. It's laying <laughs> on the ground. What am I going to do? And he looked up, and when he did, behind that fallen oak tree was an evergreen tree full of life. And he said, It's a sign from God. He took those men, he gathered them around that evergreen tree, and he said, this tree is green year-round that represents a tree of life that you just received from Jesus Christ, who died on a tree. And he dedicated that fir tree to Christ, to the Christ child. And then from then on, those men who worshiped Thor under an oak tree began to put up green evergreen, evergreen trees as a witness of their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And from that, it spread. And that's the real reason we have evergreen trees at Christmas today. Hey, man, right. Isn't that awesome? awesome. Oh, that, uh, that's another one we, they need to make a movie of. Come on, Hollywood. There you go. You so uh, lights, how did they end up? Well, it was a number of years later that uh, in 1540, Martin Luther, the reformer of the just shall live by faith, 
Uh, he added candles to his tree, and people said, why'd you put candles on your tree? Before, it was just a green tree. And he said, this represents that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is welcome in my home. Well, people love that, so they start putting candles on their tree. And, of course, eventually we have electric, and we put electric lights on our tree, so it's much better. Uh, but by Probably this, some fires yeah, here and there. Yeah, a lot of fires, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but in the 18th century, they added gilded apples and nuts and colored streamers, and it represented God's harvest of love. And, and I want to show you how powerful the tree is. In the 1800s, Prince Albert introduced the Christmas tree to England, and this is why. He wanted the nation to return to the true meaning of Christmas, and he felt it would come through them putting up Christmas trees. And also, gifts under the tree represents God's gift to us. Amen. So, all of them have meaning. Yeah, so that's the heart of Christmas. It's the heart of Christmas. That's awesome. If you look at it that it way, you you'll see it totally it, different. feel better about it, doesn't it? About why we do what we do. And how we do it for Christmas, yeah. there's a real heart to it. It is. A cr Christian Christ celebration Absolutely. is a real part of it. It is. Yeah. It really is. It's beautiful. Sometimes I look at my tree and look at the decorations, and I get so filled with love for Jesus Christ. Amen. I That's do. Amazing. That we can That's even do that. Awesome. Yeah. And our lights and trees still important. You could ask that art, who should we even do it anymore? Oh, all that. But listen to me, when the wall came down in East Germany and when the dictator was removed in Romania, the first thing that happened at Christmas was people put up lighted, decorated Christmas tree and lights on their house. Yeah. And this is what they said, you have oppressed us for years, but you could never take the light of Christ out of our heart. And we're letting it shine. Glory to God. So let it shine, folks. Let Amen. it shine. Let yes. it shine. Yes. This little light of mine, let it shine. Let it shine. <laughs> now, that's your Christmas tree, by the way, isn't it? Huh? Is that your Christmas yeah, that tree? Was, that's our, yes, it She's is. She's putting it up there. She's that so was proud before. of her Christmas now, that's tree. Now, just, that's just with the lights on it. But we have it decorated now. It's got more than that. We put all the other Ooh, goodies fancy, on it. Oh, there it is. There's right a star. There. There's all the other things. We That's go pretty. wild. I have four nativity sets in my living room. Buddy, if you don't She's feel like, like the, Christmas the lady when with you 2, come to my house. Santa Clauses. No, I, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to outdo the lady with 2,000 Santa Clauses. <laughs> no, she has the most nativity sets. Can I just say this to you folks? Amen. I don't want you to be bored with this and say, oh gosh. But I think you need to know why we do what we do. Yeah, there's a spark there. It really is. And Whatever traditions you have at Christmas, I don't care if you put up a little teeny tree or whatever you do, whatever you do, let it speak to your heart about the love of God and sending Jesus Christ. Drive around and look at the lights, play Christmas music, celebrate. That's what carol means. The word carol, Christmas carol, carol means to dance and celebrate. That's why we have so much fun here at LifePoint. Yeah. We celebrate Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. Read the Christmas story for yourself and read it to your children. Don't let anything, stress, or pressure put out the light of Christ during this season. Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for life and living. My prayer is that you allow the Christ of Christmas to shine in your heart for you and to shine out of your heart for others. That's my prayer.